Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Scalping's Welcome to another episode of Small Doses, and we're lucky today we have two people, we have two guests at the same damn time, at the same damn time, at the same damn time. Time and I feel very good about myself that like when I see stuff I like I can DM folks and be like can you come on the show and it's just like yeah I can come on the show and that makes me feel good in my heart that I have laid the seeds throughout my career and my life that I can call on folks just like that so we have Lily Workman and Kashawn Thompson here and before we get into who and why and what they are all about. Let me just say that I met Lily Workner when she was working, when Workner was working <laughs> at uh, Black Voices, AOL Black Voices, back in the day. Mm, way, mm. way, way back in the day. In like yeah. 2010, 2011. At least and- half a decade. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York and I was like, can we like have a, a lunch so I could talk to you about the things I'm doing? And, you know, I really got to tell you, um, what a lot of people don't understand is that where you are right now is not where you're always going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. you know, people change positions, change roles, regimes change, people move, people change careers, et cetera, et cetera. And being kind will always follow you, yes. you know, like no matter where you go. Being shitty, however ends up following you as well in a different kind of way. And I appreciate, Lily, that when I was down and out, uh, you were like, yeah, let's have a coffee. And, yes. and that's when you and, had a Get Your Life. And we, I did a whole chat with you. We did a, I did an article yes. write up about it because I was a fan. I was a big fan but of the I show. But I was doing that out of, I was doing Get Your Life with 225 cents, okay? <laughs> uh, and we are, and we just actually have put up season two on my Smartphone and Black Patreon because people were asking for it. But not about me. Today is about Lily and Kashawn Thompson. Lily, give me the full title of the book because I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> I got you. And I appreciate you for having me. Um, we are here to talk about our new book that I did with Kashawn and Rebel Girls. It's called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls. 100 Real Life Tales of Black Girl Magic. And Kashan is a creator of the Black Girl Magic movement and hashtag the global movement. So I couldn't have been more honored to create this with her. So Kashan, so nice to Zoom meet you. And I don't meet you too. I think it's important to note that uh, when we began this Zoom, Kashan thought it was just a call. And so she was like, oh, I'm not like prepared. And then within approximately four minutes, uh, Kashan gave us an entire look. And if that ain't black girl magic, I don't know what else. That's pretty indicative of how it go. So it's mostly skin, but again, black girl <laughs> magic because I'm 48 years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, no one knows. You know, I I went to get my ear stitched up the other day, and the doctor he had a mask on, but he was like talking about things that I related to, and I was like, um, I was like, Doctor Batman, how old are you? How's like he was like, how old do you think I am? And I was like, honestly, I never know with white people. 
<laughs> he just started laughing because I have never gotten over the fact that uh, Sarah Huckabee, is that her name? Whoever was the yes. uh, press secretary, the press secretary oh, for gosh. Donald Trump was 35. And I, I'll just never, I'll never <laughs> no. recover. It's no. like life comes at you fast when you lie in every day. So tell me about this Ooh. book. You know, the Rebel Girl series has been going on for a while now. I feel like I have a, a, a bunch mm-hmm. of different Rebel Girl books and it was overdue. This book was was. overdue for the Rebel Girl series. So can you just tell me, and I know you've said this in a number of interviews, so I know you've got the spiel down pat. (laughs) How did this go from this is what we need to do to getting Rebel Girls to take it to fruition? I first found out about Rebel Girls because they had uh, this book come out last year that was 100 immigrant women who changed the world. Yes. And I'm an immigrant myself from Ethiopia. So I was like, ooh, I love that this, there's a book that exists that really talks about, you know, dope women from around the world who moved to other places and made and left their mark, right? And I was like, there's not a book that, like this that exists that I had growing up that I've ever had. And, you know, I found out later and later joined, started consulting with them with this book and then joined the team full time to learn that Rebel okay, Girls you has just been around. skipped over... You just skipped <laughs> over. Do you see that many st- steps to see? And I, I knew steps. about this book and then I became consulting for this book. How? That was magical in itself too, that whole process. And I will say, you know, shout out to um, one woman in particular, Christina Woody Train. She looked out for me and she reached out to me and said, you know, Rubber Girls is looking to hire, you know, would you be interested or know anyone who is? And I said, you know, no, not at this time, but I am, you know, down to consult and help, you know, with whatever projects they're working on. And she connected me with the CEO the CEO was like, we're working on this book called Black Girl Magic. Kashan is involved. We've tapped her to be, you know, part of the process. And I was like, oh, if you have the creator of the Black Girl Magic movement involved in this, then I know you're really about it. And I know that this is going to be authentic and that you, you know, are giving people credit where it's due. And I was like, I, I wouldn't want to be involved in a book that had Black Girl Magic in the title unless it had, you know, the actual creator of the movement play a key role in helping to make it happen. So, um, that's kind of how the cards fell. So you and were just sitting at home and they just called you to be an editor? Like what, when they, yeah. when they called you to consult, it was to consult mm-hmm. as an editor? It was to initially consult as an editor on this book. Yes. And at the time I was, you know, editor in chief at Blavity. So I spent, you know, and you know, we went back, go back to Huff Post days and I was leading black voices. I spent the last eight, 10 years of my career in black media. So I've always been dedicated to talking about the black experience, my primarily through digital journalism, right? News and media. But a part of me always always wanted to work on a kid's book. And I was like, well, look how this just manifested. (laughs) Like, this is just a dream come true. (laughs) Now, this might be a dumb question, but what does an editor do? Because I think there's, Mm -hmm. like, I know a lot of us, like, we hear these titles. Like, you'll hear, like, the title of an editor. I know in in showbiz, I never knew what a producer did. They would just say, like, producer. You're like, I, and then you come to find out there's 5,011 types of producers. What does an editor do? There's 5011 types of editors too. And I there think it go. really depends on like the industry, the role, the, the company. You know, as senior editor at HuffPost Black Voices, I assigned stories, I edited stories, I wrote stories, I let the whole vision for that section during a really critical time in media, right? When like Black Lives Matter was really building and popping off and Black Girl Magic had just been born, you know, in 2013. So that was that role then. Then I went to editor in chief, which is then you're like leading the whole, you know, that editor role is still a different type of editor role. You're less in the weeds of like managing exact like word phrases and sentence structures, but you're thinking holistically about what is the vision and mission of this platform? How are we telling the stories that matter? 
to now where I'm sort of editing this book where that's a whole different set of responsibilities. That's like selecting the women who are in the book. You know, how do we tell these stories to a, that, to this audience of young girls and kids that's not so lofty or over the head, but still carries through the true mission and essence and spirit of black girl magic. So it varies. It can be anything from line editing to, you know, big picture vision editing. It runs the gamut, but I love every part of it. And I've always wanted to expand all the ways I can edit and show up as an editor or writer and editorial. And so I was really blessed to have this opportunity sort of fall in my lap. And like I said, when I found out Kashan was involved, um, I know I think they approached her first to say, you know, because that was going to be-, be my next question, Kashan. Mm-hmm. Like, how did they? Holla at you. From Jump Street, were you with it or were you like, nah, I don't know about these people? Well, Christina Woody Train also reached out to me. I just got an email one day. I was actually at work (laughs) and I got an email and I checked my email and she was like, yo, Rebel Girls, da-da-da-da, Black Girl Magic Book, da-da-da-da, they want you to come on board. And so I didn't email her right back. What I did was Google what Rebel Girls was. I said, oh, okay. Well, let me email her back and say, I'm, you know, I'll have a conversation. And so we had a conversation again. I was at work. I'm early childhood teacher mm-hmm. by training and trade. And so I actually had just put all my kids down to sleep. And I had a real quiet interview as, you know, with them as I rubbed a little black girl's back so she could rest <laughs> and go to sleep. So we had, you know, the interview and they said they would send me a contract. I had my attorney look it over. And once he gave me the thumbs up on it, I was like, yeah, let's do this. I mean, as a person who's always been with kids and always, you know, written my own little stories and a mom and imagination and, you know, and living in fantasy world a lot as a kid myself, I like the idea of having real life stories told in the mode of fairy tale. So, and then mm. to be a part of, you know, picking who gets to be in the book and how they look and what the book cover would look like. And even just down to the font on the front and the color of the cover and stuff. It was a wild ride for me, but it was just like amazing. So, yeah. How long did the process take? Because 100 stories, that's a lot of stories. And how many authors are involved in that process? We started out you know, with like, what, 700 names, Lily? Mm-hmm. A whole <laughs> slew of lists. Yeah, a big, a big list, list. A slew of names, yeah. Like, when they came to me, they already had like, what, maybe 500. Mm-hmm. And I got to add some, and then we just had to whittle it down. And Lily wrote um, a good portion of the stories, but then there were three, three other Black women that wrote stories as well. So four authors. Mm-hmm. What was the research like? to write the stories. And it's also like a different kind of research because you're going to have to research like all of this like anthropological historical text and then convert it into like digestible text for kids mm-hmm. to not only read, but read as good night stories, which is its right. own thing. Yeah. And as I mean, you as know, somebody who wrote a book, I just, the struggle. <laughs> but Jen, you're writing it for an audience that, you know, similar to your level of like comprehension, right? Like right. we're writing it for the age level. That's like, you know, we can't use these big terms and words. And we're talking about sensitive topics like racism and sexism and discrimination. Cause that's real. And that's part of these women's stories. And we don't want to sugarcoat that. Right. Like it's, we're not here to tell these are the real life tales of these women. It's not the fairy tale sort of like stories they're used to. And that's a big, part of the story structure in itself is that 
you know, most of the stories do start off with once upon a time or when so-and-so was a little girl, because that's what kids are used to. But the reality is the fairy tales we all know and consume aren't rooted in reality, right? We're not able to connect to them. Cinderella isn't a real figure that I think we can all have a direct experience with. So we are taking the fairy tale format, but flipping it on its head to say, let's introduce this in a way that you're familiar with, but also make it really real and talk about who this girl was, who this woman was as a child. Like, what did she grow up in? What kind of environment? What kind of influences did she have? What were the trials and tribulations? What was a pivotal moment in her life that really defined this experience for her? What kind of bullying did she endure? How did she overcome it? And then condensing that, you know, really digging through all these interviews, all these articles, you know, previous ways that people have talked about these women, especially mm. if they're, they have passed, right? Because we have a mix of past and present women. It goes as far back as like 17th century with Queen Nzinga of Angola, right? So we're like cross-referencing, finding all this information. And we're like, you know, this might be too gory. Let's find a different way of like talking about this moment in history, but still talk Give about it. Give me an it. example of something too gory. I mean, war in general, like there's people who, you know, like Warsan Shire story, I want to say gory per se, but it is, it's heart wrenching because she was a refugee and she like had to leave her hometown. And she talks in so much detail in her poetry about how it feels to leave your homeland, right? Because you're forced to flee it. And those are the real experiences kids may not all, not all kids couldn't relate to. There are some kids who will, right? Like I can definitely relate to that immigrant experience. There are people, you know, who endured like bullying. There's Jessamine Stanley, who's this amazing full figure yoga instructor. Mm -hmm. But she talks about as a kid, you know, that she, and we include this in the book, that she went through all this bullying as a kid because she was on the cheerleading team and she didn't want to play team sports because no one was really accepting of her body and her, you know, her physical stature at the time. So she would turn to yoga because it was an individual sort of, you know, athletic sport that helped her really embrace who she is in her body. And now she's this badass, fully confident woman. Women, teaching women to embrace all parts of themselves. And so we're like, she has to be included. Those are the kinds of stories that really, I think, define what Black Girl Magic is. And I'll let Kashan speak to this too, but I even learned a lot about what even Black Girl Magic means. Because I came into this and I think we all have this some understanding of what Black Girl Magic is to be this like, you know, we celebrate the Beyonce's of the world and the women who are breaking records and changing, you know, creating like world change and catalyzing movements. But it's not always about that. And Kashan, I'll let you speak to this too, because that helped us really ground ourselves and even the women we selected to be in the book. Because we're like, not everyone has to do something magnificent. Not everyone has to be a, what did we say the other day, Rebecca? Not everyone has to be a prodigy. Yes, exactly. And Kashan, I'll let you speak to it too, because that's one thing I learned a lot from you in particular. I was going to say, because Kashan, I mean, I wrote a whole poem about Black Girl Magic, and I'm like, what? Yes. I need to know what Kashan said. I, I, did, I, did I get it right? Like The poem was everything. <laughs> Thank you. Black Girl Magic has uh, nothing to do with celebrity. It has nothing to do with high-profile wealth or status because black girl magic was born in the hood with me you know black girl magic was a concept i actually had come up with as a child growing up in you know dc in the 70s and 80s probably in the 70s because i was really small when i thought this but i thought that black women were actually magic because Again, I was a kid who was very much, uh, what, spacey or something, but I was very much into like Once Upon a Time stories and witches and warlocks and fantasy, all that stuff. 
to this day, I'm a huge Trekkie. Like, <laughs> huge. Ditto! Huge. I haven't figured out how to do that yet, but that was my thing. Mm-hmm. So when I would see my mom and my grandmas and my aunties and my older cousins doing stuff like braiding hair or cooking something, like my grandma made the best sweet potato pies. I thought those sweet potatoes were ugly. I was like, how did something so good come from something so ugly? And then my aunt, you know, she went to discos back in the day and she would come home and show us the dances. And then she would tell us stories about stuff, stuff that happened and all. And the way she would tell a story, I could really see it happening in front of me and all that kind of stuff. So I literally thought black women were magic. And what I knew of womanhood was all black. So fast forward, fast forward. I get grown. I go through school, have all black teachers, all black girlfriends, and da da da. And and this is all in DC. It's all in DC. Where in DC were you at that you had all black everything in your educational journey? In DC, like in, Shaw, in the Northwest Shaw neighborhood. Okay. Like back then, DC was really chocolate. So chocolate city. Yeah, we was chocolate city for real, for real. So uptown, way uptown, like almost into Montgomery County, Maryland, is where you would see white folks and white people doing it, white people saying Georgetown, which is historically black. That's another subject because my grandfather grew up in Georgetown. Yeah, so I had all the black everything and my parents were super black, you know, black organizations, community efforts and all that kind of stuff. Fast forward to me being in social media for a few, quite a few years. And then um, I want to say it was 2012 and some guy has said, this was after a whole like barrage of negative things being said about black women in social media spaces, mainly social media spaces. And so some guy said something negative about Serena Williams, basically trying to deny her talent, you know, that, you know, she wasn't basically saying she wasn't all that. And I was like, uh, I don't know what he's talking about, but black girls are magic. And it kind of, it turned into a hashtag from (laughs) that day. Hashtag black girls are magic. And because it was back in the olden days of Twitter, we only had like, them slimmer times yeah slimmer times leaner times and you really <laughs> had to be good with the brevity and the wit to make a name for yourself on there and i was but still at some point it got truncated to black girl magic which i don't like really i don't like i don't like that it got shorted why i don't like it because when you took out the verb to be which is my favorite part of african-american vernacular english the habitual be but when you take out the verb to be it becomes a thing and not a state of being. So black girl magic became this thing that people thought that they could trade on, mm-hmm. that people thought that they could possess, that it could acquire, commodify, mm-hmm. you know, instead of being just who and what we are as black women. So uh, I get why it was shortened because I myself did not shorten it. Somebody else did. And it just took off from there. But I saw it change. I saw the spirit of it change. When the verb was taken out of it. And so you want it to read, in your preference, it would continue to read Black Girls Are Magic. Yes, because we are. It's not a thing anybody can give us because we're born that way. And it's not a thing that anybody can take away from us. It's non-transferable. So you can't give it to your white girlfriends and your Latina girlfriends unless your Latina girlfriends are Afro-Latina. Which somebody tried to argue with me about the other day and really tried to tell me that being Latina and being a Black girl is the same thing. And I'm like, where do y'all live? Let me tell you something. (laughs) There's Venn diagrams for everything, but that is not a blanket statement. Let me tell you something. I'm in college now. That's one of my inspired new things I'm doing. That kind of new. You're in school right now? I am. For what? 
I grew sense. up with no degree. I came up with no degree. So I decided to go to school last year and I'm graduating next year. For what yes. though? What's your, what do you get into school for? Early childhood education. But That's you already know everything about early childhood education. That's why I got an A in every class. <laughs> <laughs> I have a 4.0 GPA. I'm rocking it. I feel like you in the class like, ah, ah. No, ma'am. Yes, I am. I really am. Mm-hmm. Between that and my sociology education through Twitter.com. <laughs> yes. Listen, yeah. I have a medical degree via Grey's Anatomy Medical School, so I okay, completely right. understand. Yes. So, so yeah, like race, ethnicity, and nationality kicking folks' asses. It's, it's really a chokehold. It's true. It's such a chokehold on them. It's like they're there, there, there. They can't, <laughs> they can't make it happen for them. Like, we trying, but the, the Rubik's Cube ain't lining up or something. <laughs> but yeah, so it really, it it gives folks, you know, that it be having them shook. It just really be having them shook. <laughs> so the whole thing about the verb being taken out of is really what made it just so much of a product. Just like this hair brush I just pulled from my beauty side of my office. It's a thing that people think they can hold. And it's not that. It's like Black Twitter. It's nebulous. Like you can't. It's nebulous. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something. You can't just be giving it or taking it away. And what I saw a lot of happening was people taking it away from girls like me. Like I had my kids young. I have full fledged adults now because I had my kids when I was 24 years old. And I dropped out of college when I was 19. I had these kids and, you know, I went and worked in childcare because it was easy to get into, you know, without a lot of edu- formal education and that kind of thing. And I worked low paying jobs, but I made, when it needed to shake, I made a shake, you know? So okay, DC, when it needed to shake, <laughs> I made a shake. So I got a college degree kid now. My son just moved out on his own. He'll be 23 next month. My daughter graduated from college, magna cum laude, you know, like, I made it work. Right. And I was a single mm-hmm. mom. That's the magic. Right. You're not going to take black girl magic away from women who did what I did. You know, you're not going to because that's where that's where it started. Like, no, my mom was the first of all of her siblings, the only of all her siblings to get a college degree. And she was the youngest of 10. Wow. She had mm-hmm. me when she was 16. So you're not going to tell me that, you know, black girl magic only belongs to Tracy Ellis Ross when it also belongs to Tracy Jenkins, who just got employee of the month at the CVS. I always felt like black girl magic was really just the ability for black women to continue to exist in our full selves in spite of the world doing its best to try mm-hmm. to steal from what we make to do all of the li- the list you just listed, you know, commodify, appropriate, diminish, exhaust, drain, et cetera. Yeah, but the hard part about that is because so many of us have bought into the BS is that we think that certain Black women don't get to do that, shouldn't get to do that because they lived a different experience. You know, I say, I don't have no lying sisters. I don't do brunch in D.C. every weekend. You know, I'm not on the yard at Howard because I don't have no affiliation. But that doesn't mean that I'm any less than a woman my age who did do those things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it really hurt me when more than a couple black women sent me messages saying they felt like they weren't a part of it because of how it was being represented. 
You know, mm-hmm. Black Girl Magic only was for the college graduates. And it was only for, you know, celebrities. And it was only for, you know, people up but here. But who was, who was wielding that sword? Like, when they were saying it was only for, I like... It, ha- it was other Black women, unfortunately. And then Black guys even made up a hashtag called Black Girl Tragic. Mm. I, and I know you've seen it, Amanda. I did not I see that, it. but I... But I'm not surprised. Right. And it's because I say things like, I'm not surprised. And people be like, you hate black men. And I'm like, no, I hate niggas that do shit like that, though. I, I do. And I also think coming from the media lens of it, too, I think the way that we fed into this perception that black girl magic is this like elitist celebrity focused Mm. sort of kind of women are because like we see it on magazine covers and in headlines that celebrate these famous, you know, record-breaking women. And I think that's fed into people's perceptions that black girl magic is only this kind of like, it only looks like this. It can only be if you achieve something or if you worked your ass off to, you know, break a record or if you became the first or became a history maker in some way. Right. And I think, I think the media plays a big role in how we have internalized and interpreted what Black Girl Magic looks and means and can show up and, and be. And I think we try to debunk that with this book, right? Because right. it's just a different form of media. It's literature. It's literature for that's molding the minds of kids who are going to build our future, you know, and mm-hmm. it's them who are going to they're the ones who are going to literally be the ones to work with black women. Right. If they're not identifying as black, this book is made for black girls, but also made for everybody to learn about black girls. Right. To know all the ways we've shown up, to have respect and understanding mm-hmm. and knowledge about all the things that we've done and all the ways you've contributed to debunk all the things that people and society has taught them and is teaching them on the daily that we are, you know, less than capable or that we are not as, you know, smart or educated or all these things that that society tells black women all the time and tells other people all the time about who we are that don't come from us. And so for us to make this form of media that was so intentional, not only in the stories we told, but also how we created it, because it's made by black women from cover to cover. Right. Like we had all black women authors. We had all black women and non-binary like artists and illustrators contribute to the art because the way these girls and kids see these women too was so important because it's right. not just what they read, it's what they see. And it's how can we show these women in the most empowering ways? How can we celebrate all these different features, right? All these different hair textures, all these different skin complexions, all these different body sizes, all these different like sports and athletic abilities and, you know, creative abilities and leadership abilities and innovative ways that they've contributed to the world. Like how can we in a hundred stories take, you know, first, I mean, consider like every woman every black woman who's ever existed and will ever exist is black girl magic. So then mm-hmm. with that being considered, like it's a hard feat to just narrow it down to 100 women of all time, you know, who have ever existed that could be in this book and should be in this book. But we found ways to filter it. And I think you also say stories. The word stories, change. it's like 100 stories mm-hmm. of Black women. Like it cha- that, yes. that wording is very specific in that it, it, it opens the door for it to not be just like, here's 100 women who are Black Girl Magic, but here are 100 stories. And if you relate to this, you're, you're in here, you're seen. Right. There's a real life stories too. It's the real life tales of these women. It's not just, 
you know, this like fantasitical like approach to fantasitical. Is that a word? I know. I know. I just made it up. I just made it I'm up. A, no. <laughs> I was like, I like it. You I better like the hashtag role that. Fantasitical. <laughs> fantasitical. Because a lot of people out here are living real fantasitically. Okay. <laughs> we all live in the fantasitical world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This editor just made up a word, but isn't that what editors do? <laughs> that's part of your job, right? Fantasitical. Enhance the culture. The make language. it make sense, and that's all you got to do. Right. But, you know, I feel like there's there are so many ways that we talk about black women that aren't rooted in reality. And we Mm -hmm. you know, this book, again, is like magic could show up in every way, in every form that black women show up. Right. And we were like, how can we narrow this down and be intentional and tap black women? Because we know our stories best to tell these stories, to illustrate these stories and uh, make it the best that we could. So hopefully it just shares just as even a small glimpse and changes the minds of some people, some kids who can see themselves reflected in these pages in some way and say, you know, I always wanted to be a wrestler. Like, look at these dope three sisters who I've never heard of before. Ethel Johnson and Babs Wingo. Like, there are women I didn't even know about before coming into this book that right. I was like, wow, like, there are so, there are so many well, dope I things we done. I still haven't recovered from Hidden Figures. I mean, I I don't think I'll, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever recover like, from the fact that my- how do make it through life? Like, how, is I, how am I just finding out about this because of a movie? You know, I, right. I, I just, I will never right. recover. I will never That's recover. So how do we make it through life like this? Kashan, what would you say is a way that we or the society talks about Black women that is not real that you wanted to counter in this book? I think a way that society talks about Black women that is not real is about the work we have historically done taking care of other people. When I say that as a caregiver myself, I think that people don't really realize the importance of caring for other people, especially young children. They don't understand that there is science and art in care. There is self, I mean, I think people know that we sacrifice ourselves, but I don't think they understand why somebody would just walk in and do that. You know, first of all, for a long time, we didn't have a choice. You know, for a long time, we didn't have a choice. And I'm talking about even after, you know, slavery was done. You know, those were mostly the only jobs we were allowed to have. So people have looked at me and I think about myself about a a lot when I do this. And my grandmother, when I do my aunt, who, who also cares for the elderly, they don't understand that caring for others is one of the most powerful things you can do. And I've been looked at as a weak person. My work has not been valued. In so many, you've been looked at as a weak person. Yes, I've been, I've been, you know, oh, you don't need no skill to do that. You just a babysitter, you know, especially because I specialize in taking care of the youngest children, children under age three. And I'm like, how many of y'all go to work and talk to people who can't talk back to you and still figure (laughs) everything out until call me weak, you know, (laughs) I'm a whole empath out here. What are you talking about? (laughs) But, But yeah, so I think that. When people look at, and there have been stereotypes, you know, um, developed and held up around Black women who care professionally. We have the mammy and, you know, those kind of things. And I've been called a mammy because I used to be a nanny when I was younger for white families and that kind of stuff. But I think the attitudes around Black women who do those things that hold up the rest of the world, those of us 
who have been domestics. Like I look at a lot of people who have their PhDs and or doing this kind of type of work right here and that kind of type of work down there. And I know down here, either a grandma or great grandmother scrubbed somebody's toilets yeah. and started your college fund. So you get to where you think you're going, you know, where you think you belong. And you have the nerve to look down on somebody that wiped your butt when you were a year old. Do you understand how that person laid the foundation of who you've become? And a lot of times, more often than not, it's women that look like me who have done these things, you know? So I think the way that people look at Black women who choose to care professionally, and that's why in the book, it was really important to me to include Mother Clara Hale. Mm. She's always been somewhat of an idol for me. And we we treated her story with care. It was written that she took care of sick babies. But those right. of us who know mm-hmm. was outside at the time, we know what she was doing. She was taking care of babies who were drug exposed. Right. She was taking care of babies who parents were unable, you know, for whatever reason, be it poverty, um, some type of, you know, substance abuse issue or what have you. We know what she was actually doing. She was taking what in the book we said, the sickest babies. Right. You know, so it was important to me to have kids understand that caregiving is legitimate. It's needed and it makes a big difference in the world. So any girl who chooses at some point to say, I want to take care of babies, whether it be on a level which I do as an early childhood educator or as a level I've done it in the past as a nanny or even a perinatal, you know, physician, that is important work. Mm-hmm. So I, it was important to me to have her story included because that the narrative I've experienced, not just what I've heard, but what I've actually experienced around black women who choose to care. It's, it's, it's whack, y'all. It's whack. Like my grandmother just passed in April and the lady that took care of her, she hardly made any money. She hardly made any money and she took care of my grandma for years. And it made me feel sad because without her, our family, you know, structure would have looked different. Right. With my grand, my grandma would have not been able to stay in her own home up until the night she died. You uh-huh. know, she hadn't had that woman there like 16 hours a day. So it, it bothers me that people think about think about us like that. Just because it was something we were forced to do doesn't mean we aren't good at it. And it doesn't mean that choosing it today is a bad choice. I feel like D.C., has like a, well, this is an assumption, so I'm going to ask. Within the Black community of D.C., would you say that there's a class, like, segregation within the Black community of D.C.? Like a bourgeoisie that consider themselves a different type of Black person than those that they don't consider to be a part of their circle? Yeah, I'm going to say now. Like, it wasn't, I don't remember it being like that when I was growing up, you know. But now, because we've had, Black people come from other places, you know. Mm. I'm celebrating my 30th class year, you know, high school year out. So those of us that came up together in the city, we don't really rock like that. But people who have come from other places have this preconceived notion about D.C., Mm. you know, thinking that every function is a networking function. Oh, where'd you go to school? And what do you do? We don't do that. Like, natives don't do that. So, yeah, now that we have other people who have come from other places, yeah, I they think it's like that. that. But 
kid. I never fucked it up. But I see my homegirls from high school working in government buildings or teaching at the college or whatever, or at the high school. We don't look at each other like that. It was a girl that was, I went to high school, but she was a counselor in my daughter's high school. When we saw each other and recognized each other that we went to school together, she didn't look down on me because I was, you know, divorced and broke, you know? She was like, oh, Sean, this is your daughter? You know, I'm going to be her counselor this year, da 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, you just keep her straight, you know? You know how to find me. And, you know, and that was it. So, yeah, those of us that came up together here in D.C. back in them days, we don't do that. But the new folks, they do that. So it's a lot of them that kind of want to stratify and, you know, throw salt in the game. But I don't really fool with them too much. <laughs> Lily, what is a story that didn't make the book that you wish? Oof. I mean, I know there are a bunch of them, but like, what's one that pops in your head? I want one from either of you. So, so Kashawn, start thinking. thinking. I'm thinking. No, there's so many. I mean, it was really tough because I, I wanted to have as much representation of both, yes, American women, but not American women. just about to ask that, too. Like, is it diasporic? Yes, it's global, you know, and we, mm. I didn't. Another thing is we didn't want to tell Black Girl Magic from this Western lens, right? Of just like American women. That's just like that we may be familiar with or know about. Now you see, that is interesting because it's, I feel like I get a lot of, and it could be two people and I would call it a lot, but I feel like there's, a, I get a lot of folks that come into my space on these internets defining that black girl magic is specifically relating to black American girls. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that, you know, if you are not um, 100% black American, then you don't identify as that you're appropriating that. Like I literally had a, a number of women tell me that I was not allowed to do a black girl magic poem because my great grandfather is a white man from Grenada. And I wow. was taking up space for black women by doing a poem called black girl magic dedicated to black women. And I just felt, I mean, I knew they were wrong, but it was like, it felt so frustrating to me that there was anybody that felt that way because that means that the concept of of being a magical black woman is once again being truncated into some shit that is not even real. Like there's black women all over this globe. Dang, man. <laughs> that hurts me. That really bothers yeah. me because let me tell you who's in this book. There are biracial, multiracial Black women. There are Black women living with disabilities. There are young Black women. There are old Black women. There are trans Black women. There are short, tall, fat, skinny. Whatever, however, however we show up, we purposely made that represented in this book. Light skin. Some of them got white daddies, let alone white great-granddaddies, you know? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not doing that because if you identify as a black woman, you got you black girl magic, period. Mm -hmm. Period, point blank. That's it. No qualms about no if, Mm -hmm. ands, or buts. If you do go talk to the manager, I am the manager. You see what I'm saying? So, (laughs) 
I'm gonna at you from now on. When they come sideways at me, I'm gonna be like, you know who you need to speak to? At speak Kishon. To the yeah, right. Yeah. Speak to the manager. So, like, we're not like we're not doing that. Yeah. There's no. one thing I say in every interview: Who are we without all of us? Nobody gets left out. Nobody mm-hmm. gets left behind. Mm-hmm. We need every one of us to, if we're going to move yes. towards this thing that we know as liberation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're we not going to go nowhere trying to stratify and pull this girl out and throw this girl out and whatever, whatever. Well, you're not Black girl magic because you went to school in Bethesda, you know. <laughs> But I think there's this thing that it's like if you have access to privilege of any kind, then sometimes we want to cancel other people out instead of saying like, nah, like create access with that privilege. Like it's what you do with it. That's what you do with it. Like Mm -hmm. yesterday I was driving back in the city. I had gone out to the suburbs. I was driving back in the city and this lady you know those pink Mary Kay Cadillacs? Yes. She had a brand new one. Really? They still making those? They still making them. Trust me. They brand the little new. truck, the little you know the little SUV. So she had one, and she cut me off. And nobody's in the car with me, thank God, because I used the F word. Man, you know I didn't want none of my grandkids in the car. But I said, I don't give a F how much Mary Kay you sold. You're not better than me. Like <laughs> she can't hear this. No one can hear this. But it made me feel better. Like, you know, just because you just sold like a shit ton of Mary Kay, <laughs> don't mean you just get to jump in front of me with your pink hat like, and disrespect me because you think you queen of the world now. And I and I think I thought about it when I got home. I said, that's how some people who get a little something, whether it be some privilege or some money in the bank or whatever, that's how they treat people. You know, she going to jump in front of me with her brand new Cadillac. She thinks she better than my, you know, my uh, 13-year-old Volvo. Like, this is safety car right here. I don't care about your Cadillac. But I think sometimes we also just apply things to other folks without knowing the story, too. Without knowing anything at all. That's true. Me too. Like, without knowing anything at all. Because she might have just cut you because she's trying to get to a birth. Right. We like you just but well, we the next Mary Kay party, you know, that's gonna pay that next payment. <laughs> she might be a doula, but she might be a doula on the way to deliver somebody baby and she just does Mary Kay on the side and she is able to sell so much because she's in front of so many women that she's birthing their babies. We just don't know and we I don't just know. feel like we be jumping all around, <laughs> you know, feeling our feelings. You know what I'm saying? Feeling our feelings. And I and you know, I have a touch. Of road rage, and sometimes it just comes. Like I'm gonna tell you, it's just a touch. My husband got a big burger full of road rage. <laughs> I got a touch of road rage. But her jumping out in front of me, I don't know. Maybe because I, you know, my mom used to sell Mary Kay, make me carry her stuff. But um, you see, <laughs> now we know we're there. Now we right, now it's personal. In 85, my mother was selling Mary Kay when they had them big cases. But you know what? To that point, though, like we talked about like what you guys like want young girls to learn. Right. Or not mm-hmm. even just young girls, anyone, because the people reading the stories is going to be learning, too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Too. Just like I did. But it's like, how do we want folks to feel when they read mm-hmm. this? You know, like what is the what is the range of emotions that that you want folks to go through? Because I know. I'll just take it back to Hidden Figures like. Hidden figures touched me in like a weird, in a way that I didn't expect it to. 
Like, I just thought it was just like, okay, this is another historical story. But like to this day, when I watch it, I watch it a lot. It just, it reminds me like, yo, we are on the shoulders of so many Mm -hmm. women who are on the shoulders of so many women. And it consistently grounds me in like, so no matter how much Mary Kay you sell, Mm -hmm. you are merely, you're a link in the chain. Yes, absolutely. We all are. We all are. Whatever we do. I think that um, as far as what I want people to feel when they read the book, I want them to have those, you know, Oprah be having those aha moments. I just want them to have like at least like 20 that's, you know, <laughs> aha moments when they read the whole book. Like, just like, oh, aha. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, know I want a whole lot of that yes. going on. And the feedback I've gotten from friends whose girls have read the book, a lot of that is going on. A lot of that is going on. What kind of age, what age group? I've heard the most from women whose girls are independent readers. So, yeah. so it's like girl, eight to 12, like, eight to 12. Yeah. yeah. Like one of my coworkers, her daughter read it. She texted me and she was like, I love the letter you wrote. Cause I wrote the forward. So I love the, re- the letter you wrote to the girls in the beginning. And my daughter didn't even know that someone, so this person existed, you know, she didn't know that you could make a change in your community just by gardening. Like it was a lady in the book who was a mushroom farmer. And she basically changed her community by learning the science of mushroom farm. But she had come up as an orphan and she had to leave school and work and make sure her brother got to school. Then when her brother finished, she was able to go to school all off the strength of her learning the science around planting and harvesting mushrooms, being a mushroom farmer in Zimbabwe. And not only did she learn and make enough money for herself to go to school, she taught her community. So that was like a super impressive story to me. And I didn't even know anything about this lady. Mm -hmm. A mushroom farmer? Like, for real. We're not talking about, you know, Amanda Gorman, who was also in a book who spoke, you know, at the presidential inauguration where we had Kamala Harris, the first Black woman vice president. We are talking about Is Kamala in the book? Yes, she is. Well, in she's the not in the she's not in the 100, but she's featured in the she is in the book. But there's also the back of the book has little synopsis of each black woman who is featured in the other the three volumes of the books. Yeah. 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 OK, got you. Got oh, you. she's in the book that way. Not mm-hmm. as a one of 100. But yeah. So when I hear these stories about the girls learning about people who look like them or live like them or, you know, on the same socioeconomic level as them doing things that just help their community. You don't have to change the world. You can change your community, but the world is a body, you know, and all these communities mm. are systems and the people are the cells, you know, and that kind of thing. And the connected The world you. is a body. Break that down for me. Break that okay. down for me. I, and when I was in biology in high school, I think maybe earlier than that, I learned about cells, makeup, tissues, tissues, makeup, Organs, organs make up systems, systems make up the body. And I always thought about society, you know, global society as being a body. So on cellular level, I say cellular level, we are people, you know, regardless mm-hmm. of what we do, who we are, whatever, we gather in together to make tissues, you know, and tissues are just our little communities where we are. But then you connect and you make an organ, which might be your country, but your country. Mm-hmm 
is part of this system, you know? Right. And then that right. system is a part of the world, which makes the whole body, mm-hmm. you know? And I, and I, and that's the thing. That's how I think about society. Mm. And I always talk about how black people and white people, you know, we people, if anything, most of, especially during slavery, but you, the people think about us being so separate from white people. We lived next door. Those are our next door neighbors. You know, we lived in the house. We lived in the house. <laughs> we lived in the house with them. We they were next door. Like they learned a lot of stuff from us, mainly because we was doing a lot Everything. of work. Everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, my lawyer is writing a whole like her book that she's writing is about the history of black intellectual property in this country and the ways in which it has continuously been sought to be stolen and she i'm a hitter (laughs) for real because you see oh i see and I, yeah. I'm gonna leave it at that. You see what you see. Cause my cause I was gonna ask if it's trademarked, and then I was like, you already know the answer. Just be to looking. That. That's all I'm saying. Just be looking. Mm-hmm. But that's mm. yeah, that was why I was like, you know, so often we see it all the time. Black creators making all these hashtags and movements and businesses, yes. and it's you know, a tweet goes viral and then somebody else sees it and grabs the attention of it, and then they claim it, they create the LLC, they copyright it. And the creators behind it are left penniless and without credit and without recognition. And that is daylight robbery. It's not fair. It's not okay. And it might be because we may not have the resources. We may not have the support. We may not have the people to help us get that work done. The knowledge to do it. is expensive AF. Yes, Yes, it is. Yes. But it's an investment at the same time. And we don't have the people to help us do that. But we have the endless creativity. We have boundless creativity and the things that we have at our disposal to make such impactful change and like such creative artwork or business ideas are constantly every day being commodified and appropriated. And, you know, that was that was one of the first red flags, you know, for me, or at least a green flag, I'll do the green flag trend, was to have know that Kashan was involved with, you know, in this book from the beginning. I was like, finally, here we are with a book that I know if she's involved, then I can get behind this too, because I don't want to be a part of this trend where people are trying to create entire product lines or entire books or entire businesses without giving people the credit. So I'm glad we were able to tag team on this. And Kashan and I have become sisters and friends and she's my advisor and big sis all day. (laughs) And I'm beyond grateful for this opportunity. And, you know, I learned a lot from her too, just like from her experience. And I share a lot about my experience as a black woman, you know, because we are totally different experiences, but we still, you know, have so much in common at the same time. And I hope that through line is also exemplified throughout this book, right? That people can see that although these black women from different time periods and different places from around the world and different hobbies and interests, and they come from all kinds of backgrounds, they are still Black women and right. Black women historically have not been centered or celebrated, especially not in kids' books. If you even want especially. to talk about 
divert the lack of diversity and the diversity gap in kids books. And I think that's the most important because we are molding the minds of people who, like I said, are going to become future world change makers and leaders. And, you know, even if it's just for their own community, even if it's just for them to feel full in themselves, that we are able to teach them and show them what that has looked like and the women who have come before them to be able to do that and that they feel limitless and that they have endless potential and they, they can like walk away from this book parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone included who reads right. this book, even my own friends, you know, millennial friends who are like, I never knew about this person. And wow, I'm like, this is so dope that this, you know, 10 year old girl is doing this or this 89 year old woman just like traveled to the North Pole on her own. Like there's people, adventurers and all kinds of stories. A black are, woman? A black woman, Barbara Hillary at Why? almost 90 years old. She... <laughs> literally has been and I'm like these are just like but they're phenomenal stories I'm like wow like look at her still doing this and us being able to challenge the ways we perceive elder black women and to like inspire elder black women to you know to take care of their health and wellness to be able to do that right we're also just living in this time where we're we are right before our eyes watching legislation be created that is literally in support of lying and the suppression of truth. And, you know, I think we took it for granted that um, I guess in my upbringing, I feel like I had a lot of access to this information. And even when I went to college and grad school, like, you know, there was not a lot of pushback. And it feels like we are in a time where it's very dystopian in that, there is a concerted effort to simply say, we don't want to acknowledge this and we don't have to. That's the other part. We don't have to. And so education, I always say education is our liberation. Like I just, Mm -hmm. there was a, they did not want us to read for Mm -hmm. a reason. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this type of book to me is so much bigger than just like a much needed, like part of a series of books. Like it is, it's revolutionary and it's going to fill in a gap that these some of these young women are and girls are 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 having in their education in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is not um one of the things I've said about the book and I still feel this way is that if I had had this particular book mm-hmm. or book like this when I was a little kid and I was like a voracious reader and I wanted to know about all things black and all that. Kind of, I wanted to know more about black women, but I just, you know, I didn't outside of the people I knew, there wasn't a lot right. out there to read about. It was like Beverly Cleary, Judy Bloom. Yeah. And those mm-hmm. was my girls. And I think because I pushed through all that between seven and nine, <laughs> by the time I got to like 11 and 12, my mom was just like, go, go pick something off the show. So I read Maya Angelou, you know, she, and so just because there wasn't anything else and I was kind of young, I got exposed to some very adult literature. I was going to say, why the case bird? That's early. Right. That is not early childhood education. It is not, <laughs> but I was in and reading these things because that's what was around. Right. And even today, I have a hard time finding books that center black girls, mm-hmm. you know, and as an early childhood educator, um, it's getting better in terms of like young adult or even in young picture adult, books. young adult, but picture books is getting a lot better. I would say so. I, would say I feel like I, I got a lot, a lot better, but for girls who are independent readers, like nine, 10, 11, 12, like the series, like I loved encyclopedia Brown when I was a kid, but I don't, I haven't seen a series. Like I've seen some with boys with black boys, which is dope. I have a series in my head. 
that I just don't have time to write. <laughs> and I'm telling it, you, to do it, it, they will eat it up it. because they want stuff like that. So I just think that this book being what it is and how, first of all, it's so beautiful to look at. Mm. I think the cover is just attractive and eye-catching. It is. If you put it at the right level in the store, these girls are going to run to it and want to be, you know, open it and see what's in it. And once they open it, see these vibrant illustrations that all these Black women, non-boundary femmes did for the book, they just going to be hook, line, and sinker. They end. You know, but then they're going to finish it and they're going to want more. So I feel like. Well, that actually not to cut you off, but that's a perfect segue. The script. To our segment, The Script, where we provide the audience with supplementary materials to further the conversation. And so in that respect, you were just saying, you know, that once they finish this, where do they go next? Where do they go next, Kashawn and Lily? Oh, so many places. I mean, I think there's an abundance of works and literature and media to consume that, you know, is created by Black women in particular that I think talk about the Black experience. In kids' books, I don't think there's a book like this that exists. Yeah. That is an anthology, a collection that really talks in depth or at least in more detail about these experiences of black women because so often we may you know see these books and kids books that highlight black women's stories and they're like so and so did this and accomplished this and so and so made history doing this but they don't dig deep into like how Octavia Butler was raised by a widowed mother right and how she overcame like challenges with dyslexia and how she became a science fiction legend later on in her career but also died at a younger age right so what is the full story of these women? I don't think there's another um, series or collection of stories that that do that like this book does. But, you know, it's naturally to me, some of the women who stand out to me are, are the storytellers in the book like Octavia Butler and all her works. So I would recommend all of them to help people expand the ways they think of the future, right? Absolutely. And the queen of Afrofuturism herself for people to just be able to reimagine what the world can look like and to be intrigued and spark, you know, their curiosity just by reading her story in the book and then dig deeper to say what else has she done and you know let me start reading some of her other stories same with Mm -hmm. tony morrison right same with audrey lord who talked about the lgbtq experience in a way no one really has in poetry and in prose that i think is profound in ways that no one else has really been able to do there are filmmakers like we have present day women like Ava DuVernay and I love all her works and I love how committed she is to talking about the black experience. Ida B. Wells is in the book, right? And there's so much we can do to dig into her stories about how she uncovered and talked about lynchings in America and became a civil rights crusader and helped to launch the NAACP. Who else? I mean, Kashan, throw something in, throw something in. Yeah, come on, Kashan. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, are we just talking about who's in the book or who do we know? Every, I think No, I mean, it. for me, it's like, what are some other works that support this? Like, I know, like, there's this book that I discovered, Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration and the Black Dream. And it's a picture book. Uh, it's an illustrated history of the great migration, uh, you know, from the South, of uh, Black people from the South at the at the end of slavery. And, you know, there's, like, books like The Warmth of Other Suns, which is, like, a very dense... That that's, like, a very dense book. But for kids... But for kids, um, this book, I this book, The Making Our Way Home, The Great Migration, The Black Dream, you know, for kids, I feel like it's like a good set between like um, 
uh, rest in peace to John Lewis, but he did like graphic novels, graphic novel. you yeah. know, mm-hmm. on the civil rights movement. And I feel like it's like those types of works, just like, you know, you all's book is the bridge, right? Because yeah. like when I got to college, I became a voracious, just sponge for anything black because I realized that I had been denied mm-hmm. like the full scope of the understanding of my history, of my culture, of the people that had come before me. And like, I am someone who knows my parents, but it still felt like I didn't know my identity in full because I was hey. disconnected from how did I get here? You know, like I how- hate that for, for black when black people have to they have that experience. I feel so bad for y'all. Like, dang, that, that got to be because I don't know that. Well, so my mother is from the Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. And so I had understanding of like my Caribbean roots and my father's American, but my father wasn't he didn't take up the mantle of like, let me like ground you in your black Mm -hmm. American culture. And, you know, it's not to say that I didn't pick up information and I didn't have friends and, and I didn't glean things, but in terms of like, I was in school and I was a very like attentive student, but I'm learning about Shakespeare and I'm learning about Greek mythology and I'm learning Mm -hmm. about World War II and the Holocaust in depth. I'm talking like all the threads, the back channels, the minor things, like the several different perspectives, but I haven't learned anything relating to my own self in these spaces with that level of acuity. And that wasn't until I got to college. That was a good part about growing up in DC when I did. It was blacky black black and all my teachers was black and be black black yep. and everything because I learned all those other things like I read Macbeth and you know learned about you know World War II and all that kind of stuff uh, government but at the same time those teachers knew that these black children that they were teaching yes. needed to know that all those other things too right so I learned all about that and then plus I got it at home heavy like heavy at home like all kinds of books about black culture and all that kind of stuff was in my house like in retrospect a lot of it was kind of hotel but that's okay you know, <laughs> you know my parents did what they could do when they could do it. like my mom would like bring these books in my space and I feel I feel like she was learning at the same time you know what I'm saying yeah. because she's learning about black American culture at the same time I remember I always tell this story like there was a point in time where my mom started saying um house nigga and I was like she said this three times now, and I don't know where she got house nigga from. And finally, I was like, where you, where, where, where you started saying house nigga? She's like, oh, I've been listening to Malcolm X tapes. <laughs> got it. Right. It just feels like it is more than ever the responsibility of the village to raise yeah, our kids us. Beyond just teaching them manners, beyond this teaching them hygiene, uh, beyond just teaching them self-awareness, but literally even teaching, we are griots in a real way. Like we have mm-hmm. to continue the storytelling of our uh, of our past and our present to in- ensure the future because it really is not being carried through by the folks yeah. that I think people trust to do it, right? Like I think right. a lot of people put that in the hands of educators that may not, even if they are blackly black, that at this point may not even be empowered to do so, right? Right, empowered right. to do so. Yeah, we was real free back in the day. But, you know, Mary Berry was also our mayor. Okay. So we we got to do stuff. <laughs> no, when we had assemblies, we sang Lift Every Voice and Sing. I don't even remember singing the Star Spangled Banner that much. That's real. <laughs> but, I'm for real. Like in music class in elementary school, that's where I learned about Nina Simone. 
Wow. You know, in music, in music class, shout out to Miss Ball. I hope she's still out there living and doing music. But yeah, that's what we learned in music class. We, you know, and Black History Assembly was the biggest assembly of school, you know, every year. Right. So it was the most important thing. So yeah, that was my experience, but I know that's not a universal experience. It's actually not a thing that happened a lot. No. I don't think. So I, I feel bad sometimes when I hear people, Black people say they didn't get that because we always felt valued and supported in every way possible. And I can't imagine going through school and not having that kind of leadership and support. It, it got to be it got to be real tough. And I got to I got to put a yeah, sorry. I just wanted to do a quick plug too for um just black owned bookstores in general. Oh, yes. Like, yeah. Shout out to Mahogany like, Books in DC. <laughs> yes. Shout indeed. out to Malik in LA. Yes. So Shout many. out to Brady Lit Kyle Bar in the Bronx. Yes. Lit Bar. We went to all those places. Mm-hmm. We were in ten- We were like, we can't do this book tour and not go to black owned bookstores. And because Sean, you were the one, like, I spent so much money at after every stop. And she was like, get this book and get this book and get that book. Because she took, put me on all of them. I was like, I need all these books in my life. You're right. So I got uh, like three bags of books from the tour, just like going listen. to these stores. And like my grandkids, they they already like it's an understanding that you will be getting books. Yes. From Nini, I try and tell people like for every toy you get your child, get a book, you know, like balance that out. And I I do. I I feel you with the black owned bookstores, because when I when my my book, Small Doses, came out, my publishing company didn't do jack shit to promote my book. And my agent at the time also didn't do jack shit to press the company to do anything. And so I ended up having to plan my own book tour within seven days of my release. And the only reason it came to fruition was because I went on Instagram and was like, I got to do a book tour. I want to go to black bookstores. If anybody's out there, let me know. And folks responded. And black bookstores opened their arms to me and like and made it a priority, you know, to say, like, we get it. This happens all the time. That was the other part. We, we get, get it. This, this happens, happens all the time. And um, that's why, you know, we, we are here. and We know our role. So shout out to black bookstores and centering. And yes. And, and thank you to Rebel Girls for knowing how to fuck to do the shit right way. You know, because <laughs> Rebel Girls, let me tell you, Rebel Girls did this so right. It can't get no writer. That's how right they did <laughs> Nice. I have told people, just like in conversation, Rebel Girls is not a black woman-owned company. It's a woman-owned company, but it's mm. not a black woman-owned company. And this could have been horribly wrong. Yes. Every element for this to go left was right there. But they did it so right. What do you think was the reason why, though? Like, why do you think they were able to do it right. Is it just the culture of the company? Like, what do you think? I think it's the culture of the company. I think our CEO, shout out to Jess Wolf. Mm -hmm. I think she understands that she can't do everything. Everything ain't for her Mm -hmm. to say. Everything ain't for her to speak on, you know? And that's why she tapped me. And that's why she tapped Lily, you know, because she knew that these are stories that need to be told, but she wasn't the one to do it. Right, right. She knew her place. And that's why I even, yes, exactly. Yes, like she made sure we had every the single resources. thing that we needed. Mm-hmm. Like we wanted for nothing. 
That is such a beautiful story. That that right there, because that it's a, that's its own Rebel Girl story of how you use privilege and how you use access to lift voices up, you know, and to give space. Because so often it's like, yo, this doesn't need to be about you. Like these stories don't need to be about you for you to make it about you to lift these stories up, you know. And right. like, like she was so purposeful in everything. Like when we had our um, celebratory dinner in New York, we went to a black woman owned restaurant mm-hmm. like she was yep. not planned <laughs> she's authenticity yeah it was so yeah it was critical and that's one of the reasons I even joined the team I was like you know from bringing on Kashan to like seeing how they were thinking about developing this book saying it was should, should be and must be created by all black women you know to like make sure we were paying people equitably and fairly to make sure that they were contributing to this book in a meaningful way and to have every piece of this feel so valued and then you know to do the book tour at black owned bookstores and to um we did a whole fest a whole virtual event on um international day of the girl it was all about celebrating black girl magic we're all black girl talent we have these dope twins these muslim twins that called ain't afraid do a whole performance we had oprah speak we had karis rogers designer teach girls how to style we had um the chloe and maude sisters and syncopated ladies teach girls how to tap dance so we were really intentional about celebrating black girl magic and every part of it in a truly like authentic way and um you know to be able to be so closely connected to that campaign and to the whole release of and creation of this book and working with kashan has been a great example of companies knowing how to do it right yeah and even on a personal note like over the year that we've been, we worked on the book. I had like some major stuff happen. Like it's been a wild um, time. What was the, I mean, look, first of all, it was the panini. Right. That's the first thing. Right. Then we got the panini itis over here. My whole house, all of us had COVID. All of me, my husband, my mother in law, my brother in law, and my stepson. Like we were down bad the week of Thanksgiving. Oh my God. Rebel oh, Girls God. sent like bouquet of flowers and they was like can we send y'all food and, da, 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 and all that kind of stuff then april i lost my grandmother bouquet of flowers card then my sister-in-law died june 3rd like when i tell you wild right i lost my job you know i had to leave a job rebel girls had my back every step of the way every step of the way like i never i never was down bad financially right. because of them because of them. That's incredible. Like, it's so, we hear all these stories about toxic work environments. It's so nice to hear like an example of what it should be because also it ends up setting a standard and it makes it clear that it doesn't have to be, it makes it clear that like it can be this and still be productive and efficient. Right. <laughs> because, like, I mean, I had written a forward before I, we all had COVID. And then I was like, you know what, y'all, give me, give me a little bit. I'm gonna redo this thing. Cause I had, you know, I had moments during that week and a half. I was in the bed and I was like, I gotta rewrite this. This gotta be a different letter. Cause I ain't the same person. Wow. You know, I ain't the same person. So I got that leeway. I shot it over to Lily. Lily did the editor, editor, editor thing. Error, error, error. <laughs> I like that. Right. She did all that. And Migos. You know, it just <laughs> right. <laughs> Lily did everything that Lily does. And, you know, even some of the other stuff I had to write for other publications, Lily, like she made sure all literally my T's and go across in my eyes without, I didn't leave no words out. Yeah. I didn't slip into Ebonics too hard. You know, the- <laughs> this is, no, <laughs> is okay I love too. hearing this That's because okay we have to imagine 
particularly black women, like we have to imagine different types of workspaces. We're coming at things from a different trajectory. And so a lot of times, and, and I, I mean, I say this about relationships, like black women are just coming at everything from a different trajectory. And we are being expected to, you know, kind of fit into a mold that doesn't have shit to do with like the trajectory that we're coming from. And it's so empowering and so enriching when I feel like there's a space that's created to be like, come as you are, and we will adjust and we and and we will be flexible enough to acknowledge that like you're coming from a different trajectory and so how can we meet you where you are to get also the best excellence right. from you and also for you right. to feel the best about this i've had to learn that yeah. as a leader i've had to learn that as a leader cuz i was leading like a white lady okay mm-hmm. I, and i know that now i can say that now i was leading the way i had been led you know right. which is with very little consciousness for people's human experience in how they are working. Right. No, you have to make space for that. Yeah. Yeah. You got to let people do what they do best. And sometimes that means working outside of like the particular assignment, right? Like you just said, like Lily's editing your shit that ain't got nothing to do with this book, you know, but just because there's a sisterhood there and there's a space that says like, okay, I get it. And like my team at Smart, Funny and Black, you know, this year been wild and last year was wild too. And so there's been times where like, Somebody goes through something tragic, they got to sit down and we we got to just carry forth and keep it going and keep that sisterhood going. And you all are definitely planting that seed in the minds of the young readers who are going to read this book. And do the whole thing. I started school the same time we started working on this book. Straight A's. I got <laughs> A in every class. Ah. My last was I just finished. Yes, hey, I have not gotten anything lower but than But I'm not going to give you hella props, though, because, like, this is literally, you're an expert. Like, this <laughs> is like my do. friend who took Spanish class. I'm like, but you speak Spanish. She's like, yeah, yeah that's why I you, Wait a minute, Amanda. Wait a minute. <laughs> Before you even go there, I had to take some, you know, those. Oh, the core classes. The, fair. I had to take the fair. core classes. So I had to take sociology. But, of course, I'm already you been to. Twitter University for sociology. <laughs> so I had to take that and I had to take environmental science and I had to take, you know. Question about uh, environmental science. Like, do they talk about the, the in environmental science, do they talk about the, um, why am I blanking right now? <laughs> because it's Environmental racism. Do they talk about environmental racism? Do they talk about yes. the fact that our globe is dying? My teacher was all that. Yes, my teacher was all that. We talked about environmental racism, entire environmental justice we talked about uh population we talked about food insecurity we talked about oh shout out to trinity university trinity washington university shout out to dr kavari because that was my environmental science teacher and she was on it and she let me turn in my last assignment late because i had covid she didn't even she she was like you don't even have to turn this in all your work has been i said no i want to turn it in so she was like okay all right. But you already have that you already have That's your so able. Okay. So I turned in my last assignment. It was like four days late, but I also could not sit up. <laughs> the last dose. Well, I find that to be incredible that you turned in an assignment and you could not sit up. Um I think this the book is incredible. I'm out of town right now, but the book is at my house. Uh, it, it arrived while I was gone, so I can't wait to start reading through it. And I can't wait for you to read it. Yeah, I'm just so happy <laughs> that I was able to get y'all on the horn, you know what I'm saying, and to talk about this in a real way, in a real space. And for all of you all who are listening, go out there and get full title, Lily. 
Good night stories for Rebel Girls, 100 real life tales of black girl magic available on rebelgirls.com. And from this point yeah. forward, I will make a concerted effort to always say black girls are magic since that is how it has been envisioned and realized by its creator. And I feel yes. very honored to get to speak to the originator of this phrase and someone who really just succinctly packaged this concept that we know is so much bigger than a hashtag. Thank oh, you, yes. Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And just thank to say, you, I've been you. a fan for some years. I mean, I remember when you went by another name. Oh my God, because I was a You remember when I was Amanda Diva? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking earlier. I was like, you ready for this chat with Amanda later? She was like, yeah, it's Amanda Diva. Oh my God, (laughs) you just made me flash back to Kangos. I I just find it so, I find it so weird that there's people in the world who, like that there's people I speak to like, that I know that are like my friends that do not know me as Amanda (laughs) Diva. Like they, they never... Who's that? You was making a shake back then. <laughs> yes, I'm shaking the table. Shaking. Always <laughs> making a shake. We got to make a shake. No, y'all are the best. We appreciate you. Thank you. Keep and going. You keep growing. And um, shit, man, I feel like, you know, Rebel Girls needs to do a seminar on like, this is what company culture should be. So talk to them about that. They absolutely <laughs> should. And I'm look, I'm going to hit them up and say, look, this is what y'all should do. I would actually yeah, love for, right. I, if, if it was ever possible, to have the CEO come on my show to talk about what a, like, positive company culture space is for women. Because I really don't feel like that's been spoken about in, like, a just down-to-earth, grounded way. I mean, it may, I'm sure there's books and, you know, there's lean in and everyone's trying to just be like, how can I capitalize on capitalism? But it's like, how can you also just, like, do good shit with good people by creating a good yeah. environment. I think I think Jess would be a great person for that. Like the fact that I had didn't have to deal with men for the better part of three weeks. <laughs> you know what? And, and, and we will say it's not that we don't, it's not that we don't like men. It's that we don't like patriarchy. And patriarchy really be encouraging men to be their worst selves. So right, it really does, unfortunately. So it was good to be free of that for a little while. Yes. <laughs> Rebel Girls. And Go out and get true. the book. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Rebelgirls.com. Thank you, Amanda, so Thank much. Thank you, Amanda. Star Avenue, a podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network.